Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. And since it is Friday, it's an all-crazy Three Martini Lunch for you today. Jim and I have a slight disagreement about whether the first one is good. Jim says it's crazy kind of good because Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, as the COVID numbers there are rising and are considerably higher than the rest of the country, is asking for voluntary, uh, I don't know if quarantine's the right word, but voluntary restrictions. Uh, she says we need to go above and beyond the rules we have in place And according to Fox 2 in Detroit, she called on high schools to voluntarily go remote for two weeks after spring break, to pause athletics for two weeks after spring break, and asked residents to avoid eating indoors for two weeks to help slow the spread of COVID-19. Now, I don't know exactly which school districts are doing spring break when, but most of them have already done spring break. So, Jim, there's something very important happening in Michigan this weekend, which is why I think it's not mandatory. It's only voluntary. It's high school basketball championship weekend. And I have a personal stake in this because my alma mater is playing for a state championship tomorrow. Uh, Two years ago, they lost a heartbreaker in the finals. Last year, they were loaded for bear. But of course, just like everyone else, they had their postseason short-circuited by the pandemic. And now this year, they're undefeated and on the brink again. But it's not just the fact that my high school is in the finals. It's also the fact that uh, these teams, kind of like the NCAA teams, that were in the bubble. They've kind of been in bubbles all year long, and to yank that from under their feet uh, on the last day of the season would definitely not be a good move by the governor. The games are being played in Lansing, so they're not that far away from uh, voicing their opinion in very strong terms. Girls' finals are today. So Gretchen Whitmer could have gone more draconian here. Uh, She didn't, but I think there's good reasons for it, Uh, not only for the fact that people are tired of uh, being told what to do by her and other governors, but uh, we've got... You know, evidence from Florida and California and beyond that uh, restrictions versus looser uh, rules don't necessarily make a difference. I was going to say, Greg, you're not saying that she's putting uh, public opinion and and how it could affect her reelection prospects next (laughs) year over the interests of public health and people's lives, are you? (laughs) Never. Uh, 60 Minutes will get right on that, I'm sure. But here's the thing. Here's what I think is really intriguing about this. And I, I couldn't make this a full good martini. I do think it's a really odd and surprising development. And it does indicate that maybe Whitmer has learned something from the experience of the past year, because as I posted in the corner recently, your old home state is in really rough shape. Um, Early in the week, I was talking about how many uh, of the worst hit communities in the country over the last two, three weeks are in the state of Michigan. Right now, we're up to 16 of the top 20 cities with 50,000 more residents or more Uh, are ranking in that top 20 of the average number of daily new cases over the last two weeks. Right now, Jackson, Michigan has twice the average number of daily new cases as New York City. That's how bad it's getting. You look at the state tracking data dashboard, you know, cases are up, hospital use is up, the average case rate is up considerably, um, you know, pretty much all over the state, although the, the Upper Peninsula is not quite as in bad shape as everyone else is, hospitalizations are increasing, uh, and the death rate is uh, increasing for the second straight week. It's th- this is really, and what's really really odd is that you might be oh okay well you know um, this is bad, but it's probably bad a whole bunch of other places. Well, Michigan right now, in the last week, has averaged 492 cases per 100,000 residents. 
Like, it's not just the worst in the country. It's like by far the worst because the second highest is New Jersey, my own old home state, at 328, right? So they're, they're 170 or so, or 160 below the next one. Next one is New York, 239.9, Minnesota, 232.8, Pennsylvania is at 230. And those are the five worst states. And the really weird thing is you look at these neighboring states, they're nowhere near what Michigan has. Ohio is at 113.8, Wisconsin's at 96.2, Indiana 102.9. You know, and again, this is not this is not total. This is averaging it out per 100,000 residents. So it's not like you'd say, oh, uh, more heavily populated states are going to have a bigger problem or something like that. It is a really bad business. The state is in really rough shape. It's very bizarre how they are getting hit so severely when the surrounding states aren't. If there was ever a circumstance where Gretchen Whitmer could semi-plausibly argue we have to reinstate these quarantine restrictions, we have to go back to what we were doing in the spring, this is it, and she's not doing it, or at least so far. Right now she's saying it's voluntary. I think that indicates she recognizes one, uh, pandemic fatigue and, and uh, quarantine fatigue, um, coupled with the fact that she may have burned through some of her credibility with her nutty things about we're going to ban you from buying seeds and you know the, the Walmarts of the world have to cordon off certain uh, aisles of the store and, and all that kind of stuff. So you're going to hear, I'm not going to give her like two hands clapping. You hear this? That's two <laughs> fingers clapping. That's, that's how much I applaud her. But again, I, I would, knowing what we based on this, I would expect her to have done, all right, back in, everybody back into your homes. Deploy the SWAT teams. That's it, everybody. You know, and she's not doing that. I want to give her a little bit of credit for that. Um, this is all happening in the context of this state getting hit really, really, really bad, and standing out from the rest of the pack. Uh, from you know, at a time when everybody else seems to be doing pretty well. And as I noted yesterday, statewide the vaccinations are going okay, not great, but you know, nothing really outstandingly bad. Uh, what's really strikes out though is that Detroit has a pretty lousy vaccination effort. Hey, good thing their, their mayor didn't want any of that Johnson & Johnson vaccine. <laughs> well, of course, whenever something like this happens and the numbers go in the direction you don't want them to go, nobody, of course, is going to accept responsibility. It's always the other side's fault. So I'm seeing a lot of Democrats on Twitter saying, Gretchen Whitmer had this under control. It's the Republicans in the legislature that forced her to, to ease up. And my favorite part about all these tweets from the left is that several of them had the exact same wording. So you know that uh, these were uh, clearly original thoughts from uh, all of these people. I'm going to jump in here, Greg. They forced her to do this? <laughs> all, all executive power resides in the executive, right? It's not like there was a legislative veto over these quarantine restrictions, right? Well, I, I don't know exactly how it played. I didn't pay that close of attention. But I think there was a fight over whether she could continue to use the emergency powers. So, I don't, so I don't... The, art, the defense is that she's easily influenced, bullied, and intimidated into not doing <laughs> what she thinks is right. That's This is the excuse. This is the defense of why Whitmer's not to blame. Okay, just making yeah. sure. Yes, exactly. If she is going to uh, do anything next week, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I do think she wants to let the, the, the sports finals play out. And uh, I'm glad she's not going to punish 16, 17, 18-year-old kids who probably aren't at that much risk uh, for the numbers going south here. So uh, I am glad to see that. And more importantly, go Mountaineers. All right, on to our first ad of the day, My Pillow. Rest easy, uh, folks in Michigan, if you can. If you, if you need to hunker down, stay comfy on MyPillow and, and their other products. Uh, in fact, they give that same great attention that they give to their pillows to their towels. Right now, three Martini Lunch listeners can get two of the six-piece towel sets for one low price and free shipping. MyPillow towels have a proprietary technology that makes these towels highly absorbent. 
They are soft to the touch without that lotiony feel. They have a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. They are washable, they are dryable, and have seven colors to choose from. Awesome towels. I've said it so many times. They're fluffy, they're soft, they're big, they absorb so well. You're dry super quick. Can't recommend them highly enough. Single six-piece set includes a two-set of bath towels, 30 inches by 56, uh, two-pack of hand towels, two-pack of washcloths, Really, really good stuff. So go to MyPillow.com to learn more and to order. Right now, for our listeners, all six-piece towel sets are buy two for one low price and free shipping. Just use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104. That's MyPillow.com, code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104 for two six-piece towel sets for one low price and free shipping. All right, Jim, let's move on to our second crazy martini. Definitely crazy bad, though. Uh, remember when Joe Biden was uh, in the last stages of the presidential campaign and the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg happened there in mid to late September and the Republicans said, oh, yeah, we're going to fill this. Trump nominates uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, Mitch McConnell told everybody to keep their powder dry. They got her confirmed with only one defection in Susan Collins. And uh, Joe Biden was cryptically saying that, you know, I just... I don't know. Maybe I will court pack, but I can't give that answer because that's all anybody would ever ask me about. Worst answer in the history of mankind. But nonetheless, uh, by Election Day, I think Joe Biden had said that he was going to uh, appoint a commission to study these sorts of things. Well, he's now appointed the commission. And this is the purpose of the commission, according to the White House statement. It's to provide an analysis of the principal arguments in the contemporary public debate for and against Supreme Court reform including an appraisal of the merits and legality of particular reform proposals. The topics it will examine include the genesis of the reform debate, the court's role in the constitutional system, the length of service and turnover of justices on the court, the membership and size of the court, and the court's case selection rules and practices. Uh, the two names that stick out on this commission for me are Bob Bauer, who was uh, White House counsel for Barack Obama, hardcore lefty, also Lawrence Tribe, who a generation or more ago seemed more rational, but has turned into a hardcore lefty as well. So we kind of know what sort of recommendations might come from this commission. Kind of glad Manchin and Cinema have uh, strengthened their filibuster positions lately. But in case you weren't exactly sure of what this was really about, the New York Times gave it away in their tweet on this announcement today, saying, Breaking news! President Biden will create a panel to study expanding the Supreme Court in an effort to balance the conservative majority created by Donald Trump. Well, I guess some points for honesty there, Jim, but uh, we're going to get a lot of garbage out of this commission and hopefully it goes nowhere. There's no getting around it. This is I, this is a bad news. If I want to be a real optimist, I can kind of throw out a slight bit of optimism or, or possibility. What does a politician do when they don't, if, they, if a politician really wants to do something, they just go out and do it. When they have something they kind of want to do or that the allies, their allies expect them to do, they feel like they're obligated to do it, but they don't want to take the political hit from doing it. What they do is generally some sort of, uh, well, we're going to have a blue ribbon commission study this. And that, I think, is what we're seeing at work in, in this situation. You know, Joe Biden is kind of counting on uh, the commission to come along and say, well, yeah, this is how you could do it. And this is how... Um, you know, this, this would work out and this wouldn't be so bad and, and all that kind of stuff. My guess, though, is that this is going to, uh, uh, you know, cause some real headaches. Because I, I, on the one hand, it's not the craziest thing in the world to say, hey, you know, uh, maybe we should have retirement 
uh, a certain age for that. Or maybe you should only stay on the court for a certain number of years or something like that. It's not the nuttiest, craziest thought. Um, the problem is that nobody necessarily trusts uh, you know, either party just to not try to maximize their advantage. And it always is, okay, let's, let's just start retirement with your guys and my guys can stay on for as long as they like. I don't expect this commission to create enough political cover to allow the Democrats to say, ah, you know, we're going to uh, pack the court. Clearly nine Supreme Court justices is bad and wrong. Clearly we need 11 or 13 or 15 or some other bigger amount or something like that. Um, but the, actually, I can't get too optimistic about it because that's clearly the objective of this uh, commission. Clearly, it's an effort to try to create enough political uh, cover so that the Biden administration and other folks get the ball rolling on this. Uh, I don't think it will come to pass, but um, it's still not a good sign that Democrats are trying to do this. And the Democrat, uh, the Joe Biden, who he kept being told was a moderate, could not stand up to the rest of his party and say, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Apparently, Joe Biden doesn't stand up to anyone. At least we haven't seen that happen at any point so far in this presidency. I'm a little surprised they're being this brazen about focusing on the Supreme Court. I thought ultimately they might water this down and uh, expand seats or create new federal uh, appellate uh, regions or, or new district court seats and, and pack those and then have more libs to counteract how many uh, vacancies Trump was able to fill at that level and then put them on the track to eventually become uh, Supreme Court justices. But the fact that they're focusing on the high court actually does surprise me a little bit, but uh, hopefully it goes nowhere. And I think, by the way, it's a uh, that's one of the reasons it's less likely to succeed. If somebody said, yeah, due to caseloads, we need to add one more judge to every circuit court or every appeals court, I think people would be less naturally, like, you know, there's, there's an argument to be made about, you know, the speediness of courts and backlogs that build up and stuff like that. I don't know if I necessarily would agree with it, but okay, you know, let's, uh, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's assume that there, there's an argument for that. When you say, we, you know, we want to change the number of people on the Supreme Court, most people say, ah, it's because you think you're going to lose at the Supreme Court and you think we should blow up the existing system because you're not getting what you want. Hmm. I'm surprised they haven't already said that uh, four new Supreme Court justices would uh, fall under infrastructure. So. <laughs> Everything is infrastructure. <laughs> Well, Joe Biden certainly wants to make a mess out of the courts, but you don't need to make a mess out of your insurance policies. And thankfully, you've got Gabby to help you navigate all that. Because look, when it comes to car and home insurance, don't we deserve better? I know I do. So do you. I put my policy to the test and turn to Gabby, which literally stands for get a better insurance. See, I bet you you didn't know that. And now you do know. Getting better insurance with Gabby means a better price for the same insurance coverage. Who knew something like this existed? Well, they are the one true comparison platform with real rates. They give you an apples to apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers. We're talking about companies like Progressive and Nationwide and Travelers, and it's all in one place. You use your current insurance information to get started, and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage you currently have, and it's free to use free to use. And it's a very simple process. Sometimes they say it's simple, but it really takes forever and you got to jump through a bunch of hoops. Now, there's several prompts, really easy stuff. Just about all of it you already know. At the end, you link to your current insurance policy. They match you up with other policies that cover the same things and they show you how much you can save. It really is that simple. Good news was we didn't have to switch, but it's great to know and having the peace of mind knowing we did have a good deal uh, was very beneficial as well. So whether you change your insurance or not, it's still worth your time. Gabby customers save 
$961, though, per year on average, and they'll never sell your info. So no annoying spam or robocalls will be coming your way if you use Gabby. So put your policy to the test like I did. Get a better insurance with Gabby. It's totally free to check, and there's no obligation. Go to Gabby.com slash martini. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash martini. Gabby.com slash martini. All right, Jim. Well, the good news is, at least over at CNN, we've apparently run out of things to be offended by because now they're down to the ridiculous issue of Asian-looking font in the English language. Their official title is Karate Wonton Chow Fun, the end of chop suey fonts. So, you know, if you go to a Chinatown, we've got one in D.C. Obviously, San Francisco has a big one. Many major cities have them or any Chinese restaurant, maybe, uh, whether they think it stands out uh, and, and makes it look authentic or whatever it is. You've seen that type of writing all over the place. But now, of course, it's a problem. And CNN, with a really long piece on all of this, they go through the history of this font and how people back during the Chinese Exclusion Act of the 1880s used it to denounce Chinese people. But I'm pretty sure that's not what the Chinese immigrants who run Chinese restaurants or other businesses that use it uh, do it. But uh, this uh, article says things like, it's hard not to cringe at the Chinese stereotypes bundled up with each font package, especially when seen through the lens of today's heightened vigilance toward discrimination and systemic racism. Critics believe that using chop suey typefaces is downright racist, particularly when deployed by non-Asian creators. So uh, it's apparently cultural appropriation. If you do use it, Jim, I don't know, I would guess more Asian people would like to, you know, not be discriminated in college admissions and stuff. But uh, I guess font is where they want to fight this battle on the hard left. Yeah, you know, my understanding is that uh, right in our neck of the woods, Thomas Jefferson High, which is the, or Thomas Jefferson Institute for Science and Technology, it's the top public high school in the country. And apparently up until this coming year, it's 70% Asian American students. That probably suggests that the Asian American families of Fairfax County are doing something terrific. And maybe the rest of us could see, you know, learn something. Maybe the rest of us could look at what, what are they doing that has their kids doing so fantastically that has them, you know, getting so many of the slots in this top school in the county that only takes a certain number of applicants. But uh, apparently Fairfax County doesn't like that. And they're going to say, no, no, we're going to have it look more like the, uh, the, the demographics of the children of the county as a whole. And the demographic that will benefit the most from this will be white. So thankfully, Fairfax County is standing up for white kids. Because I don't know about you, Greg, I am sick of the man holding me down. <laughs> uh, but what's more on this, like, you know, I, how'd you like to say to Asian Americans, like, we couldn't fix that. We couldn't fax the, you know, the, we couldn't fix the, uh, the, the discrimination against Asian Americans in college applications. But good news, you know, the local Chinese joint or the sushi place around the corner, or the, we're haranguing the hell out of them over the font that they use. <laughs> Don't you feel rescued, Asian Americans? Yes, you're welcome. The first thing is that I, I, I'm intrigued by the people who say um, it's more offensive if a non Asian American owned establishment. Uh, or run establishment uses the font, but it's it's less offensive if an Asian American owned or run establishment. So, Greg, the first question is: Let's say a Chinese or you know Asian fusion or some restaurant that uses this font starts is a success, becomes a success, and then the Asians who Americans who run it choose to sell it to say white Americans. Does the font then become offensive, even though I've been using it all along? 
Do they have to change the font as part of the transition of ownership? Because at that point, then the next question is, if you are half Asian in your heritage and half something else, are you only allowed to use half the Asian font languages? Do you do, and do you do it like alternating set letters or do you just do alternating words? Or maybe one side of the menu uses that font and maybe the other one doesn't. Or maybe we could stop worrying about fonts. Pandemic's over, crime's done. We're not worried about, you know, China and Taiwan, Russia and Ukraine. No, no, all that stuff's fixed. Okay, because if we're in fonts, I should be looking out my window and it should look like the Jetsons. It should look like every problem in society has been solved. And now we're worried about the really rinky-dink stuff like, like fonts. And I'm sure, Greg, somewhere out there, somebody's going to find out that rinky-dink is, you know, etymology goes back <laughs> to some sort of, you know... Uh, Finnerwavian American, you know, slang term, and I've just offended them or something like that. That's that's the hey, you know what, Greg? It's Friday. It is. It is Friday. I do want to, uh, and I should have done this at the beginning so we could end on this lighter note. But uh, we learned about the the death of Prince Philip uh, today, the uh, husband of seventy three plus years of Queen Elizabeth, uh, ninety nine years old. Came two months short of uh, reaching 100. We don't talk about the royals much because, quite frankly, uh, most of the younger generations, <laughs> other than maybe Prince William, uh, are pretty much train wrecks. But uh, anytime you've got a monarch who's been there for almost 70 years and her, and her husband passes away, it's worthy of a quick mention. Uh, what do you make of it? Yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry to see him go. I, I don't pay, I pay almost no attention to the royal family, but it's always sad to see someone uh, pass away like this. Yes, he was really getting up there in years, but. Greg, I'm just glad he didn't go through any, you know, shocks or, or really difficult times with his family in the past few weeks. It's, it's uh, the good news is it's been smooth sailing for the last few months, right? <laughs> right. The media, they always have an agenda. We learned this morning that, of course, that he passed away. Reuters at 10.50 a.m. Eastern time has this headline. Despite loss of husband, little sign Queen Elizabeth will abdicate. Uh, probably not the first thing on her mind right now. So uh, the media, once again, distinguishing themselves in amazing ways. Way to go, folks. Way to go. Exactly. All right. Well, Jim, on that note, off to the weekend we go. Have a good one. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Have a good weekend. Uh, do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. To get us on those home devices, all you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter. He is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you again on Monday for the Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.